0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Guess we have to recap a uh, <laughs> quite an eventful weekend in Flushing. Oh my goodness. So, let's um, first things first Francisco Lindor, who uh, was an obvious discomfort during his at bat in the fifth inning, possibly on Friday. Grad at his right side. On Saturday, we learned that he had strained his right oblique. It's a grade two strain. Spoke with Brother Phil, who, of course, is uh, an athletic training professional, um, D1 and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, not great for a baseball player. Um, You know, again, trying to pinpoint a timetable is uh, probably futile at this point, but you have to hope that uh you know just work at it and we see him before uh, I guess for the for the home stretch I I don't know what else to say right now but um you know this this lineup's going to miss the leadership uh he was you know since I think going back to like June 1st he's pretty much like the 850 OPS hitter that he's always been um you'd certainly like to uh (laughs) <laughs> like to have seen that, I guess process continue taking place. The, um, the the you know the steps that he's taken to to turn himself around after just a, a an atrocious start to the season. Um, you know, it, it brought everything else together. Luckily, the Mets, you know, their their roster is is whole again for the most part. <laughs> we'll get to the other big uh, big blow. But on the offensive side, everyone's back now. J.D. Davis had a real nice weekend. Michael Conforto, we'll talk about him uh, swinging the bat very well. Jeff McNeil's back to hitting again. You know, there's there's still plenty of pieces here. I think we saw that on Sunday after a very, very tough weekend in, in Pittsburgh. But, um, you know, eh, consistency is going to be key and possibly making some trades, which that'll be in the second half of the show. Um, of course, the other big injury news of the weekend was Jacob DeGrom, who on Saturday, Louis Rojas said that uh, he had a little tightness in his forearm. He would not be making his start on Monday. And on Sunday, uh, we got a little bit more news, a little uh, disconcerting news on that front. Jacob deGrom will be placed on the 10-day, or has been placed on the 10-day IL. We heard uh, pregame on Sunday. Apparently, this is, uh, you know, MRI showed, showed no structural damage, which is of course, very encouraging to hear. But, you know, um, earlier in the season when Jake had tightness in his elbow, you know, he made it clear that, oh, well, I I know what, what, you know, a a UCL thing feels like. And earlier in the year, he said that wasn't this. And actually on Sunday, he said that all of his injuries previously this season uh, pretty much were all results of swinging the bat, which that's a conundrum in itself. If, you Know the best, one of the best hitting pitchers in baseball is, uh, you know, pretty much waving the flag saying, yeah, This is a problem. Uh, someone who you know admittedly loves hitting, um, it, you know, if it's taking down the best pitcher in the game, or maybe it's time to make a change, but one would assume 2022 will, uh, will bring that change with it. But you know, DeGrom he said on Sunday that. You know, this was different. And again, the MRI showed showed no no damage, but, um, you know, the, what he does on the mound, whether it's the, the control, the command, firing up to, to 102 when he has to, um, that puts strain on the elbow. Throwing a baseball is just an unnatural movement to begin with. You have to hope that, yeah, maybe the MRI is not showing anything, but, um, just stress on that UCL from doing what he does. He said it on you know, this is worst case scenario, but he said it on Sunday that um, if he had to have pitched, he probably could have. Was it the smart move? Would it have been the smart move? No, it probably wouldn't have been. So, you know, you got to hope this is a, a, a short trip to the IL, that this doesn't turn into something more serious, but there's certainly some some concerning flags being raised Um you just kind of have to hope that uh, things continue to, to break the Mets' way. I mean, for all the injuries that they've had this year, only a handful have been season-ending. And, and, you know, knock on wood, the guys on the offensive side, at least the, the starters who were out, um, you know, it was a, a five-, six-week stretch for some guys like Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil. But, you know, they made it back. And you just kind of – same thing with Lindor. You just kind of have to hope that – uh you know, injuries are part of the game. You have to hope that these just, you know, run their course and these guys come back healthy and can contribute to what's shaping up to be a, a very special season. It um, <laughs> was not much of a special weekend leading up to Sunday. Uh, Friday, the Mets were just absolutely stifled. Uh, Chad Cool, who is um, maybe very possibly cool in real life, but was not very cool at all on Friday, um, went five scoreless, uh, the, him and the pirates bullpen held the Mets to just three hits total. They went 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position, despite those three hits and eight walks given up by the pirates. That's just, you know, opportunities that are being handed to you. You got to take those, especially from a, uh, a last place team in Pittsburgh. But, um, you know, it, the Mets couldn't get anything going. Marcus Stroman and, and circus enthusiast, John Nagowski, they got into a little tiff, um, you know, we're all we all saw the replay many many times. I'm not going to go play by play with you, but you know, Stroman was leaving the field. He was animated and energetic as he always is, and uh, he wasn't even looking at Nagowski. He was just cheering a big out. It was a big out. It was still a big game. I think it was two to one at the time. It's a big freaking out. And Nagowski starts barking, what are you talking shit for? And then he, you know, of course, Strowman's going to run right up to him. I don't think we would have expected anything less. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it it got a little heated. I mean, you saw Pete Alonso running from the bench, and he came in, and he uh, threw his chest into that pile pretty pretty firmly. Um, You could see some arms going back and forth between the two teams. And, you know, usually when it's a benches clearing thing, just a bunch of huffing and puffing, a lot of talking. Uh, No, this was um, a little physicality to it. So again, these things happen. Uh, John Nagowski, I think, certainly instigated the entire thing. Um, You know, you made it out. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Sorry. I've I've actively actively been trying not to curse, but it is what it is. But yeah, you made it out. Shut up. You don't like him cheering? Don't make it out next time. That's all there is to it. Um, you You would have hoped that the whole skirmish would have kind of woke up the Mets on Friday. It did not. Uh, it did on Saturday. <laughs> they went up 6-0, um, and, you know, were cruising right along, and then the uh, the bottom fell out. Seth Lugo and Edwin Diaz, um, you know, neither had pitched. I believe Seth Lugo hadn't pitched since July 10th before the break, and before that hadn't pitched since July 5th. So, you know, for a guy who was just coming back, he was not what you would call fresh. Um it was apparent that he didn't have a feel for his pitches, uh, or at least his uh, the normal level of feel that he has uh, when he takes the mound. He's been one of the more, you know, tremendous relievers in baseball over the last few seasons. Uh, didn't have it. Uh, is it possible that Rojas stuck with him a little too too long? Yeah, of course it did. But with a six-run lead, it's kind of like, oh, well, if, if, if there's any time to, to get him some work and get him, you know, comfortable on the mound again, this is the time, and Just it didn't work out. and Excuse me. I need to take a sip of water. And then Edwin Diaz, same boat, hadn't pitched since July 11th. Um, Absolutely had zero feel for his pitches. Loaded up the bases. And then, of course, Jacob Stallings hits a a freaking rainmaker down the line and left. Kevin Pillar literally jumps over the wall. He's hanging over the wall. If he would have jumped like three feet to the right, Or, you know, he had the timing down. He just jumped just to the left of where the ball landed. But, you know, Stallings, this is a fly ball. It had an expected batting average of uh, 0.030. So, you know, it had a 3% chance of being a base hit. And the thing freaking found the seats. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. But, hey, these are the breaks. It was a heartbreaking loss. All you can do is kind of pick yourself up and, and... and come into Sunday and get a win, and boy, it didn't. It didn't look uh, promising at first. You know what? At all, um, we saw the Pirates come out and put six runs on the board in the first inning. Just uh, we can go right from the top. Taiwan Walker did not look like the uh, the pitcher he has been over the first half of the season. I think he walked four, recorded just two outs before exiting. Brian Reynolds, who um, absolutely impressed me this whole series, the last two series. What a fun player. He drove in the first run. Um, Clown Nagowski doubled in two more, made it 3-0. And then Adam Frazier's dribbler, which, you know, uh, hopefully this cloud passes. If the Mets would have lost, it probably would have gotten some more play on the uh, uh, from all the, um, I guess, national outlets. But the Mets kind of... Put that, uh, put that all to rest with a, with a, with a nice win. So Adam Fraser hits a little dribbler up the third baseline. The bases are loaded. Um, it, It's more than possible the ball also hit his calf on the way out, but or his shin, calf, whatever. It looked like his pants moved. That's neither here nor there. So Walker, thinking that he was ending the play because it was foul, because, again, it's traveling right on the outside, on the third baseline, on the outside of the line. Takes his glove and kind of shuffles it towards a third base dugout. Home plate umpire Jeremy Riggs called the ball fair. While the Mets are arguing, everybody, you got JD Davis standing there with his hand on his head. Walker's sitting there arguing with the umpire. The ball is literally just sitting in front of the freaking dugout. Three run score at six nothing. Um, you know, it wasn't the play wasn't close enough to put up a real well upon second look it wasn't close enough to put up a real argument but the angle the only angle that pittsburgh's tv crew had which is they were awful with the tv coverage all weekend i'm sorry i know with that with the whole COVID thing you have to share tv feeds we were waiting for replays all weekend it was it was awful anyway um rojas comes out He's, of course, fuming. Um, he gets ejected. Again, it's close enough upon first look that what what the hell. That, and even on, on replay, it, you can't tell if the ball's on the chalk or not. It's definitely close, and it, it very well could have been on the chalk, but you just don't know if it was because you don't have the right angle. And the umpire himself was, you know, off to the left of home plate. So he's looking from the side. Again, it's just an impossible angle, an impossible call. It could have gone either way. Um, The world may never know. Uh, Walker's fatal flaw was, of course, tossing the ball towards the dugout instead of just picking it up. Even if it was fair, or even if it, it, you know, since it was fair and he would have just picked it up, only one run would have scored. Instead, you get craziness. And, you know, that uh, (laughs) that was all that most had to see on Sunday. But, you know, the bullpen... Completely stepped it up. Drew Smith, who's down to a 2.86 ERA this year, uh, cleaned things up for two and a th- uh, two and two thirds. Miguel Castro went a clean frame. Aaron Loop, Aaron Loop, man, this guy is earning more f- more alcoholic beverages uh, this season than oh, oh my goodness, the man loves his beer and he just he keeps on earning them. <laughs> That's all he does, man. So he put a, a clean. I guess what was that? The uh, the fifth. Clean fourth, and then the fifth, was it? Either way. First inning he worked was clean. The second, he gave up three consecutive base hits, loaded the bases with none out, struck out three in a row to get out of it. It was just awesome. Just, I think he said it after the game on Sunday. And, of course, this is about the whole team. It's championship-level stuff, and it is. And, and, you know, the injuries have certainly put a damper on the momentum, but... Boy, this is just, you know, these are the types of performances that you look for to kind of pick everybody up, and it's been a hallmark of this team all year. Pick yourself up, and I'm telling you guys, I know it. On Sunday at 2 o'clock, boy, <laughs> all of that momentum and all of that confidence and all that optimism, it was it was drained. I, I mean, I was saying it, but I'm the delusional schmuck that's always optimistic on, on Twitter and about this team. To be honest, I've seen too much not to be optimistic. Um you know, the peaks and valleys that any team goes through, especially the Mets. You know, look back to 2019. If you look back in 2019, the Mets went 40 and 50 in the first half. They were in fourth, fourth place in the NL East. Second half, they went 46 and 26. They were in the wild card hunt till like the last week of the season. But, you know, you see things and you see Trends and look at Michael Conforto. I was getting killed on social media this week for saying, Hey, be patient. He's hitting the ball really hard. Um and then on you know, on Saturday he had two doubles on Sunday. We'll get to that in a second. But um you know, just the the resiliency, the the you know, never say die attitude. And yeah, that's not really consistent either, because you've seen these guys come out and just be flat for a whole game, for a whole two games at at, at some point, but They always seem to snap themselves out of it. You just like to see a little more consistency. And, you know, the Mets picked themselves up again on Sunday. Dom Smith broke the ice in the fourth with an RBI single. Travis Blankenhorn, his first major league home run, a three-run homer later in the inning, made it 6-4. You know, I think Dom did it again in the sixth. He doubled up the first baseline to score McNeil, who was on first, hustled all the way around, and there was a little bobble. um, Oh, I don't know who it was over there. Maybe it was Frazier? Um, bobbled the relay, it allowed McNeil to, he was already at third, and he scampered home, and that's just it's the type of hustle that changes the game, man. That made it 6-5. By the way, Pittsburgh's middle infield, their entire infield was such a joy to watch this weekend. Oh my goodness. them double, I know the Mets, you know, they're hitting into a ton of double plays, but boy, they're like freaking clockwork out there. Just absolutely fun to watch. Um, I think I said it on On Friday's show, I'm absolutely shocked that this team is as bad as they are. They have nine offensive players with weighted runs created, plus over 100. Nine. I think it was six qualified hitters over above average hitters. But in total, nine above average hitters. I can't believe they score the least amount of runs per game in in baseball. I really can't. Um, They certainly had the Mets number, though. So the Mets are down 6-5. Pete Alonzo, one out, single in the eighth. He was left stranded, and it's kind of been the, uh, you know, it, I think the Mets were three for 31 with runners in scoring position this weekend. That's not ideal at all, but hey, you know, they, they got a win out of it. You just, you, you focus on the positives and keep moving forward. Um, you know, the concern didn't last very long, at least not on my end. I said it right before the ninth started. I said, look, Dom's been hitting, I think going back 100 plate appearances, he's got an 860 OPS uh, 284 batting average too. Led off the ninth with a base hit. Michael Conforto, who I said earlier, he was he came into the day four for his last 11 with two doubles and a homer. Um, put the Mets ahead right behind him with an absolutely towering shot. Like uh, it's the little things, and it always they this team always seems to pull you back in, and you know. Michael Conforto needed that hit more than more than anybody. He had two two doubles on Saturday, and he's like I said, he's been hitting the ball hard. But man, he absolutely needed that hit. Um, the Mets needed that hit. You can't leave Pittsburgh with everything else that's happened this weekend, with the injuries and, and the and the uh, the 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 little thing, the little skirmish on Friday that didn't quite shake this team up. Losing on Saturday, um, the whole on Sunday, like. You can't leave Pittsburgh with all of these bad things happen. That's pretty much just nail in the coffin for any momentum that this team had after the first half. Um, you know, this team did miraculous things over the first half. They lost 26 players to the I.L., still came into the second half with a, a multi-game lead in the division. Just, you know, we're going to look back and be like, wow, that was unbelievable. Now they kind of have to, you know, <laughs> especially now with injuries back on the on the table, It's not, okay, well, the the team is whole again. They have the potential to do magical things. No, that's, you know, the potential's been taken down a bit because you lose the best pitcher pitcher in the world and um, arguably a centerpiece of your offensive and defensive team. Francisco Lindor's got, I think, tied for the third most outs above average in baseball. Like, um, just an integral part, to say the least. You know, you're right back in the position where it goes from potential to now you have to exceed expectations. You have to outperform what people are telling you that you're able to do. People look at this Mets team. You lose two big parts in DeGrom and Lindor. And I'm not going to say that they're being disrespected, but they're being (laughs) disrespected. Taiwan Walker and Marcus Stroman, uh, two of the, I think, two of the top 11 ERAs in baseball in the first half. Those are two viable number twos, um, I'm, excuse, excuse me, two viable one and twos, uh, front-line starters. Go out and, and you know, Tyler Meal's been terrific, but go out and add another frontline starter, and boom, you don't miss a beat. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the trades and stuff uh, after the break, but, you know, you have, you have options and you also have the opportunity, if you're the Mets, to go out and really make waves. Um, replace a star with a star in Lindor. Um, that way, you know, you're not counting on the bench mob and that's not a knock on the bench mob. These guys did magical, terrific things, but, um, now it's, you know, now it means business. Now you're in the stretch run. You you have to go ahead and, and, and shore up deficiencies and new deficiencies are popping up every day. So this is kind of a fluid situation. You have to, if you, if you really think that this team can compete for a title this year, go out and make a move that says so on that note, we're going to take a very quick break here from our sponsors. We're going to come back and talk about, I guess a number of maybe options that the Mets have on the trade market and, uh, what that might all mean for, uh, how things proceed as we, uh, finish out the year. Hang tight. We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, as discussed, the Mets have decisions to make on the, um, on the trade front, you have, you know, you're losing Jacob Degrom for an undetermined amount of time. Uh, Francisco Lindor shelved with the right oblique. That's indefinite. Players excuse me, that's the player's words himself, uh, not putting a timetable on things. He's pretty much leaving things at week to week. You know, the Mets, I believe, are three games up in the NL East after uh, after Sunday's win. And you know, that's um, as we were saying before the break, it's it's it's. It's time to to put up or shut up. If you feel that this team is a contending ball club, you go out and and act as such. You have to, I mean, of course, first on the list because the back end of the rotation is in flux. And I wouldn't even say first on the list because they have many, many different directions they can go. And there's kind of, you know, a little bit of uh, reinforcement needed everywhere, I guess you could say. But you have to wonder if, with starting pitching, of course, being a need, if something similar to the Jose Barrios-Josh Donaldson deal that was being floated a few weeks ago uh, would be on the table with the Cubs for Chris Bryant and Kyle Hendricks. Chris Bryant, of course, uh, everyone's pretty much expecting him to be traded. Expiring contracts, MVP caliber player. Kyle Hendricks um, still has three years and I think $44 million on his contract. So, what I'm wondering is if, you know, kind of in the same vein that the Mets, if they would have taken on Donaldson's money, it would have eased the sting on prospect cost for Berrios. If the Cubs are, of course, willing to move Hendricks and the Mets eat that $44 million on Hendricks' deal, I think it goes through 2024. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Um, would it lower the prospect cost on Brian? Now got to remember, the Cubs this week traded Jock Peterson to the Braves. Jock Peterson, he's been playing every day. He's had a decent year. He's had spurts that he was um, terrific. He's had spurts that he's not been so great. But the Braves sent back a a very quality prospect in Bryce Ball. Bryce Ball, huge, huge power potential. Huge, huge man uh, to begin with. I want to say he's like 6'5", 6'6". Very, very high ceiling as far as delivering on power. But he's still—I want to say—he's in low A this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of of development still there, uh, but the cost isn't great. I think he was the 12th, or 13th ranked prospect in the Brave system. That's um, palatable. You got to imagine that for Brian, it's going to be a little bit higher of a cost. If it was just straight up, yeah, maybe it's going to take a number five prospect or a number seven prospect. Honestly, I've had my—you uh, know—I I would have. I'd peg Mark Vientos or JT Ginn as what it would take. Or, I say or, um, if the Cubs are willing to throw in Kyle Hendricks, I wouldn't doubt if JT Ginn and Mark Vientos, plus taking on Hendricks' money, might get that done. I really think it might. Um, Ginn has a very high upside. He's been pitching lights out in low A St. Lucie. Uh, really looking terrific. He's got nice movement on his pitches. Uh, you guys got to follow. I, ooh, I think Jacob wrote something. Jacob Resnick. Of course, you guys know Jacob. Did a little something on him on um, the the podcast over at SNY, um, Mets Perspective. And I want to say that someone else just had something up. Oh, Mike Mayer um, had up a video recently of his, his last start. But, yeah, he looks like, a, you know, a stud pitcher, Again, still a young guy needs a lot of development, but if the Cubs are willing to to shuffle over to high-quality players. I mean, Hendricks had a very very bad start to the season. Since then, I believe over his last 13 or 14 starts, he's been a sub sub 3 ERA pitcher. Like that's the consistency that this rotation needs right now. Um if he's he's it's funny. Uh was talking on Twitter recently about his Uh, Hendricks, of course, Uh, his ground ball rate has dropped considerably over the last year or two. Um, I'm still digging into why. I want to say he's not putting his sinkers in the lower part of the zone as often, but uh, that's going to take a little bit more digging. If he comes here, I might look into that. But, again, it's an option for the Mets if if the Cubs are willing to toss him in and taking on Hendricks' money is going to ease the sting and you can come away with – Both of these guys with a, you know, a gin or a Vientos and then another prospect? Oh, my goodness. But, I mean, in my opinion, the Mets aren't going to have to give up a major league quality or a major league level, especially a proven major league level player. We're talking about J.D. Davis. Because that's not what the market is dictating. Um, Even if you bring in Bryant. Ideally, at least in my mind, you keep J.D. Davis around. One, between moving Bryant between left field and third base, you still have playing time for Davis. As we saw this weekend, two home runs on Saturday. um, I believe he went three for four on Saturday. Two monster, monster hits. You know, there's going to be a place for J.D.'s bat on this team always. Uh, If you are adding Chris Bryant into the mix, that's even better. Uh, Dom Smith has been... He's back to really he's back to hitting at the plate as I said earlier he's been really hitting the hitting the tar out of the ball since like the middle of June his work in left field has been uh, better than any anyone could have expected I mean he still has his moments but more often than not that's a very very playable glove in left field and you know tip of the cap to Dom for doing that but he also demands playing time so if you bring in a Chris Bryant and you can keep Dom Smith and NJD Davis in the rotation. At their own positions, that's a that's a huge win for the Mets because that just adds to the versatility. It adds to the dynamic looks that this team can give you. Just you know, um, it could really do a lot. Whether that is a realistic possibility for the Mets, you know, that's to be determined. Kyle uh, Chris Bryant is certainly going to be a hot commodity. Kyle Hendricks, there's no telling if the Cubs are even going to be shopping him. Um, he might be that veteran starter or veteran leader that they want to keep around if anything just for the consistency he's a very intelligent pitcher he's a smart player I'm sure he's a great influence in the clubhouse um the Mets are still going to have to go out and and find find pitching uh you know Danny Duffy from KC who's having a really nice first half uh you have to wonder if he's going to be available he's probably not the high-end consistent stud that most fans are looking for but at this point especially if DeGrom's not going to be out very long if he's going to be out super long yeah you got to kind of go out and look for an ace or not an ace but a one-two guy to kind of throw up there and say hey this is our top three going into the the postseason hope that Carrasco comes back effective hope that Syndergaard comes back at all and if he does come back also effective and then you know you're, you're you're cooking with gas again um so you know Duffy and KC. We we mentioned Barrios. He would cost a ton alone. Uh, in my opinion, he'd be so worth it though. He's a he's a next level pitcher. Um, the Cincinnati Reds have been playing well. I'd love to ask about Jose Castillo, but yeah, uh, Luis Castillo. My apologies. But you have to imagine that if they're in the hunt, they're not going to be moving their frontline starter, Matthew Boyd in Detroit is always an option. I've been very fond of his stuff. His command is terrific. Um, he does lose that command at times. But, again, in, in a in a three through five capacity, um, especially with a little veteran craftiness to him, I think that could really be a nice pickup. Uh, if Arizona's willing to move him, boy, Zach Allen is such a fun pitcher. He's healthy again. I think he had a very nice start late in the week. Last week, but he's young and he's under contract for many years. Is the type of guy that Arizona might, well, most likely would want to hold on to. But hey, you don't know which way they're going because they are in absolute dire straits. If someone says, hey, we'll give you two prospects for that one guy, they might do it. Um, Zach Allen would be a, a huge pickup. I mentioned Mitch Keller from the Pirates, uh, former top round pick of theirs a couple of years ago, uh, was really struggling with the big club. Now he's down in A. Still struggling. This is someone that I think if the Mets pitching staff were to get their hands on him, it wouldn't take much to make the necessary adjustments to um, to get this guy into his groove. They've done it with so many people. Uh, this season, we, we've seen guys come in. Look at Tyler McGill. Tyler McGill has come in, and he's got a sub-3 ERA over his first five starts. He's up to, I believe, 28 strikeouts over 24 innings. walks and hits per inning like you know exactly what you want to see out of a guy who came up was visibly um I don't want to say shaken but kind of deer in headlights his first two starts but he settled in so nicely and the confidence like it's it's palpable you could feel it watching him pitch that boy he's he, he went upstairs on somebody on Saturday um Boy, I forgot who it was, but it was like ninety five, ninety six, and just absolutely challenged him. It was it was really very very cool to see. Uh, you know, he's going to be a, a contributor, and sure, the the league might get a book on him, and they might be very well in the process of doing so. But he really has adapted very very well. I know his first few starts, he was leaning on his uh, foreseeing a bunch and guys were like being frozen by it. He had picking up like a dozen called strikes every start on his fastball. So, you know, guys were guessing or guys were just not, they weren't able to pick up what was coming. That's a weapon. It's a matter of time before guys pick up on what's coming though. So, you know, you got to hope that continues in the meantime. Yeah. If you're the Mets, you have to go out and, and like I said, fill those gaps and, uh, between Duffy or or Berrios or Boyd or Gallon or there's going to be so many options. I'm literally just pulling guys <laughs> out of thin air right now, looking at the bottom of the standings, saying, "Oh, yeah, they have they have a nice pitcher. Oh, they they have a nice pitcher. You know, you really never know how these things are going to shake out. But one thing is for sure, you know that the Mets are going to go out and uh, and make a move because they are, you know, they're leading the division. It doesn't matter what the the circumstances surrounding it are. They're leading the division. If you have the amount of talent that you have on this roster and you have the ability to make this roster better, you do it. It's simple as that, but uh, we will have to see. Uh, Later in the week, we will be back. The Mets are in Cincinnati for three. Wednesday is a daytime matinee. Thursday is an off day, which is always very nice. And then the Mets come home to take on Toronto, who is... Uh, rapidly growing into one of my favorite American League teams, right behind the Chicago White Sox. Uh, just so many young stars, so many terrific young players. I'm hoping Steven Matz gets a turn because he's been up and down, but uh, I'm sure the Mets hitters would love to get a get a look at him. The fans would love to see him in another uniform. And, you know, you just you want to see the good times continue to roll. But without getting too far ahead of ourselves, Mets have a big week. They're all big weeks from here on out. So, uh, let's go, Mets. You guys know where to find us. Subscribe, rate, review on Apple, Spotify, all those. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you'll find Simply Amazing. Uh, Keep it locked onto the Apple. We have new content coming out every day. And, uh, yeah, you know, keep it positive, keep it optimistic, and let's go, Mets. Peace.